0: Thank you, Tom, for praying for us this morning. Well, if I don't know you, uh, my name is Andrew. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at the Leewood campus. And uh, I will echo Alan's sentiment. Thank you for being here on this frigidly cold winter day. Uh, man, it's really cold out there. So uh, maybe as, as you've noticed, if you've kind of walked in these front doors on a, on a Sunday morning uh, and seen me standing there <coughs> greeting people, uh, part of what I do, right, is Say hi as you come in. That's kind of the bare minimum thing that I do here on a Sunday morning. Say hi to you when you come in. And uh, do you want to wager a guess? What's the most common response I hear to the question, "Hey, how are you doing?" Fine. Fine. That's, that, fine how are you? That's up there. And, uh, another one up there is uh, good but busy. Hey, we're good but busy. One I increasingly hear more though, and it's it's a little bit of a pulse. And I think on where we are is, man, I'm tired how are you doing? Tired. Really tired. Have you noticed that we are all tired all the time? It's like that universal thing. You can just say, I'm tired. The other person's going to say, me too. Man, we are tired in the morning. We are tired at night. We are tired at home. We are tired at school. We're tired right now. Right? Some of you are five minutes away from the most peaceful sleep you've had all week. And you know it, and I know it, and God's watching you right now. <laughs> Some of you, maybe even for this series that we're in, uh, church for Monday, uh, which has really been about uh, the mission of the church uh, taking place on Monday. That God, when we leave this place, when we go to the various, uh, various the, yeah, the various uh, relationships and callings and uh, <clears throat> institutions, uh, that God's mission for you is is there on Monday. And maybe in the midst of the series, your biggest pushback to that idea is, you know, you're you're asking me to be ready for Monday. I'm trying to stay awake on Monday. It's too much. And here's what's crazy about this dynamic: because we're we're all tired, no doubt, but we also, as a society in history, are have have access to the most leisure time we could possibly imagine. Right? We're not just fighting for survival. Uh, we have more time to do what we want than any culture or people in human history. And yet, truly, we are exhausted. And we'll make time for soccer practice and Fortnite and social media, and you better believe we're watching football tonight, right? We, we have time, but we're, we're still tired. We're more exhausted than ever. And this series, you know, it... it We say this hopefully every Sunday, but it's framed around core ideas here at Christ Community as we have thought and studied about the Christian life. What does it mean to be an apprentice of Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, And and this whole series is framed around seven core marks of what we think that Christian life is supposed to look like. And here's something I haven't thought enough about. So when Jesus described his church, when he described his people that would uh, come after him, Uh, He said we we should be known for a lot of things, right? You think of, should be known for our love, for our grace and forgiveness, for our patience, for our joy, for our long suffering. But one of those things we are supposed to be known for is rest. Jesus said we would be known for our rest as God's people in a very restless world. And when you read the Bible cover to cover, what you'll begin to find is that God uh, loves rest, and he's an expert at rest. In fact, right, one of the first stories in the whole Bible, God created everything from the beginning. On the seventh day, he rested. He delighted in his handiwork. This is very good. God is constantly, from that point on, if you read the whole Bible, and constantly inviting his people to this rest with him. He says, come and rest with me. This Sabbath rest is a profound picture of what it means to be a follower of God to be among his people. But but we are not crushing it here, I think. I know I'm not. So that's why this morning we wanted to talk about rest. Let's talk about rest. Uh, we should be known for this. But how do we get it? Well, I'll tell you it's not another nap. That's not going to do it. Another distraction is not going to do it. An- another vacation You're not going to find it in the promise of retirement. You'll only find it in a yoke. It's the last place you and I would probably look. Here's what I mean. If you you brought your Bible, uh, take it out. Turn to Matthew 11. uh, Matthew chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 25. And I'm actually going to read the Scripture for us this morning. So as you're turning, if you would stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. Hear these words of Jesus about rest. Here's how Jesus says we find rest. Matthew eleven twenty five. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. You can be seated. <clears throat> so, what in the world is a yoke? You might be asking yourself, well, I brought one. It's a prop, you guys. Look at that. Here's a yoke. Uh, this is an ancient farming tool. We don't really use these anymore. Uh, and it had a very uh, kind of simple purpose, which was to train your livestock on what it meant uh, to work on a farm. It's to train your ox, what does it mean to be an ox? And uh, the, the basic idea was you would put, I'm gonna set this down, you would put uh, your experienced ox, let's, we'll call her Bessie, okay? On one side of this yoke. And Bessie is your best. She, can, she knows exactly what to do, how to plow a field with her eyes closed. She can walk a straight line like nobody else. And you put her on this side. Then you, then you get Billy. And Billy is young and he's strong and he has no clue what he's doing. And you put Billy on this side. He's never walked a straight line in his life. He has no idea what plowing is. And you yoke them together here. And over time, Bessie will teach Billy, what does it mean to be an ox? This is what we do, and this is how we do it. And eventually, Billy will become just like his master, Bessie. He'll train with her and become just like her. That's the idea. And then, you know, voila, you've got an, another experienced, mature, productive ox. Now all of that sounds great for the ox, right? But what if I flip this metaphor as Jesus does and, and point it to you? Does anybody want to volunteer and come up here and put their head in, in this yoke? I didn't, yeah, I didn't. No, no hands, you guys. <laughs> I didn't think so. It's like this, this is kind of a weird idea for us. And frankly, for the people Jesus gave this, this metaphor to in the first place here in Matthew, this was a negative picture. So, the, the, the yoke is used in the Bible 50 times, about 50 times, and in almost every instance it's used in a negative way. It's a, it's a symbol of oppression uh, and uh, dehumanization when it's applied to people, as Jesus does here. In fact, in the Old Testament, when Israel is under foreign rule, you know, she's often described as being under the brutal yoke of oppression. Uh, the people Jesus said this to, right, are Jews in, who are in, enduring Roman occupation of their homeland. Right, this, the yoke is not their friend. Now, today we don't uh, have that kind of oppression in our, in our country, but I think the question still applies, do we want to submit to a yoke? It's still kind of a weird image, isn't it? And yet that's precisely what Jesus says we are to do. And more than that, Jesus is saying, you... With Him, in this, is the only way you will experience the rest He designed you for. The only way is to enter this yoke with Him. And that's why it's one of our seven marks. And it's one of the most important parts of following Jesus on Monday, is this this yoke right here, entering it with Him. And here's the thing. Maybe as for modern people, as weird as an image as this is, Jesus and Jesus knew this. Whether we've named it this way or not, we are all in a yoke right now. We are training with, becoming like, aspiring to be something. That's part of what it means to be human. Jesus, what Jesus is telling us is, you're already in a yoke, but mine's better. So here's what I want us to do this morning. We're going to, as we look at this passage, we're going to compare Jesus's offer, this yoke, with the yokes that we often make for ourselves or choose for ourselves, and, see, and, and you, you can decide which one you think is better. So that's what I want us to do this morning. So what are our options? If not Jesus, then what? Well, here's one of the first things we, we see here is that we can have the yoke of human expectation. Or the yoke of God's invitation. We can have the yoke of human expectation or God's invitation. Now, here's something really ironic uh, about Jesus and his mission that we don't often think about. One of the most important things Jesus came to free us from are the expectations we make for ourselves and for other people. It's one of the most fundamental things Jesus comes to free us from. In fact, uh, if you look at Matthew, uh, in Matthew, look back at Matthew 11, right after this passage, right after verse 30, uh, you get this story, Jesus is uh, with His disciples, He's walking through a field and they're picking uh, grain to eat on the Sabbath day, the day of rest. Uh, and the Pharisees confront Him and say, you're not supposed to, that's work, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. Now, you know these two passages are connected because they both focus on rest, Okay, you, this is an illustration of, Jesus, one, of, of, of one of Jesus' points. <clears throat> and the Pharisees, if you're not familiar with who they were, they were like the ancient uh, morality police, <laughs> right? They were the Twitter mob. It's like, you did something wrong, and we're here to show you and beat you into submission until you agree with us. And they said, Jesus, you can't, you can't do that. Jesus says, I'm here to radically redefine what rest is, and it's not rooted in human expectation and human law. And one of the most brutal yokes, you guys, that any of us can enter in this life or, or experience is actually it's it's the yoke of religiosity. Churches can do this too, right? We can churches can create some false vision of what it means to be a true follower and oppress people with it. And I pray we we never become a church like that. But here's the thing: religiosity, as the Pharisees demonstrate, is really just a version of a larger category that we all fall into, which is that yoke of human expectation. That, you know, the Pharisees, that was their thing, it just had a religious flavor to it. One of the easiest things we can become enslaved to is our own expectations of what the good life ought to be, should be, or what others tell us it should be or show us it should be, and we aspire to that. That's where you get into this treadmill of I got to have the perfect life and the perfect job and the perfect family and the perfect house and I got to have the healthy meal and I got to take a picture of it and post it on Instagram so everybody sees how healthy I am, right? And we already kind of had these tendencies. I do think one of, the, one of the hardest things about like this access to social media that we have, and I'm not anti-social media, is that what it does is it takes this desire for us to like prove ourselves to the world and gives us now an audience in front in, in which to do a new audience to do it in front of. Right? And so much of what we're doing is, is, is branding ourselves. Like, hey, look, I'm acceptable. I'm okay. I'm attractive. I'm happy. I'm meeting expectations. And add to that the pressures of life and work and school and at home and what we expect of ourselves there or what we think the world expects of us there. And it's, it's truly no wonder we are exhausted. It's hard to keep up with that. Now, contrast that with Jesus' invitation, particularly notice who, who does Jesus invite to his yoke? Is it the successful? Is it the rich? Is it the, the perfect, the put together? Well, no. First, he says, he, says, I, he invites the little children, right? You remember in his prayer, I thank you, Father, you've hidden these from wise and understanding and revealed them to little children, this picture of dependence. Uh, non-self-sufficiency. Can't do it on their own. And then he explicitly invites the exhausted, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm trying to get at this contrast here, and this uh, brought to mind uh, for our teaching team a book. Uh, It's called Put Me in the Zoo. It's in the Dr. Seuss series. You know, it's not written by Dr. Seuss, but it has that that feel to it. I'm going to summarize the very complicated plot for you. Uh, there's an animal who wants to live in the zoo, so he's trying to get in. And uh, at one point, he, he, he visits the zoo, and he says, I, w- I will go into the zoo. I want to see it. Yes, I do. I would like to live this way. This is where I want to stay. And then later in the book, right, he gets found by the zoo security, and they grab him, and they're throwing him out. They say, we do not want you in the zoo. Out you go. Out, out with you. Why should they put you in the zoo? What good are you? What can you do? So many of us, it's a a children's book, but so many of us, I think it's making a profound point. Live our Monday life as if we are looking, we are proving to someone or anyone who is looking that we have good answers to those questions. What good am I? What can I do? Jesus is not waiting for you to achieve something. He is not waiting for you to accomplish something. He's not waiting for you to become something to enter His yoke. He looks at you and me right now in whatever state we're in, maybe that's tired, exhausted, burned out, frustrated, depressed, sinful, What? And it's, it's, you know, he's, he's asking the crowd, okay, who here feels like they are no good at all? And who here feels like they cannot do it anymore? Who's lonely and brokenhearted? Come to me. I'll take you. And I will give you rest. So which one do you want? Second, we can pick the yoke of our endless striving or the yoke of God's true rest. Another one of the most powerful traps I think we fall into is this lie that, that is, is throughout human history, this lie that if we could just get that one more thing, whatever it is, then, then we can rest. Then I can stop. Stop. And who, who, you know, what it is is almost arbitrary. We all probably have a different answer to that question. Is it another raise, another promotion, one more good grade, one more vacation, one more relationship, one more investment? I don't know. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll stop striving. And we, we end up living like that dog on the racetrack that just never catches the bone. Whatever we think will give us rest is always two or three strides ahead of us. And it exhausts us, it wears us out. And so in the meantime, it does a couple things to us. And in the meantime, right, as we're chasing after this thing, we end up settling for things that do not satisfy and do not give rest. Things like a little more TV, a little more Netflix, a little more food, a little more alcohol, a little more internet, five more minutes on my phone. And we do that, and we expect to feel rested when we're done, and we usually just end up feeling worse. And it's why, I think, Monday is often the most tired, exhausted day of the week. It, it, it doesn't make sense in, in one, right? Because it's like, you just had a weekend, didn't you, didn't you rest? And yet we all, so many of us we come on Monday, and we're, we're worse off than we were on Friday, What did we fill that time with? Did we rest or did we numb ourselves to our exhaustion? Did we avoid it? Now, I'm not anti-weekend, okay? I love that. It's a gift. But if we're living for Saturday, if we think that's going to cure what ails us, it will not. On the other hand, Jesus says this. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, this <clears throat> when Jesus says easy and light here, what, he's not saying the Christian life is a comfortable one. It, it actually isn't. If you were here last week, you know we talked about one of Jesus' favorite metaphors for describing his people. What it means to follow him is to carry your cross, to deny yourself and come after him. If you've ever really tried to deny yourself something, you know it's not fun. And it's not easy. It takes hard work. Jesus' point here is that his yoke is easy compared to the ways we try to live. When we put on his yoke and we submit to him and we learn from him what it means to be truly human, and that's what he's teaching you, our soul finds rest. We give everything to him every part of ourselves, and he puts it in the right place. And we find our striving cease. This is not a perfect analogy, but uh, I hope it's helpful. Uh, you can almost look at life like a, like a backpack that you can fill with stuff or not. Uh, some of you are students, you, you're used to backpacks you have, or, or bags, you're, or you have a briefcase for work, or you, you're a young parent, you have a diaper bag, and you truly are putting a whole room into a bag to be ready for every possible emergency. Um, we all do that intuitively, don't we? we? We know this bag makes it better. Did you ever, th- right, you've never probably tried to say, I'm going to live without that today. I'm just going to put all my stuff in my arms and carry it around like this. Even though it would technically be lighter to do that, you ever thought about that? Right? The bag is adding weight, but why don't we do that? Because it's difficult it's harder, it's disintegrated, it's chaotic, right? We need something or someone to put it all in place, and then we can take it with us. It becomes more useful that way. We get this with our stuff, but with our lives, we carry our work and our problems and our relationships and our family and our kids and our extracurriculars and maybe even Jesus and the church we carry them like they're these separate, disintegrated things, and, we, and we dis- are up, it's up to us to decide what's most important and when and why and how. And... The yoke is Jesus saying, give those things to me, and I'll teach you where they go. I'll order the loves of your heart, and they will become less of a burden. Doesn't, our struggles, you guys, will not go away in this life. But when we submit in his yoke, we don't have to strive anymore. And Jesus' opinion becomes the most important thing. We live before an audience of one. And that is so much better than living before the audience of anyone or even yourself and striving for the goals that we think will give us the good life, but they don't. And perhaps most importantly in this offer Jesus makes is a promise that you'll never carry these things alone. How many of us feel alone in the things we carry right now? Jesus' offer of the yoke says, I am with you in this always. Come to me. And you'll never be alone again. Okay, last one. And this is the most practical choice. We can have the yoke of trying harder or the yoke of training better. This is something we talk about a lot here. Uh, I think maybe you're out here and there's a temptation in a message like this to say, I'm going to get better. I'm going to work harder at resting and I'm going to work harder. I'm going to try harder at being a good Christian, follow Jesus better. I'm going to try harder and it's going to go better. My, my word to you is good luck because it doesn't work. Right? When, we, when we try harder, we'll, maybe you'll do a little bit better for a little while, but then we end up doing worse and we're, we're almost worse off than before we started. It's discouraging. I'm going to give you an analogy to help you understand what I'm what I'm getting at here: the difference between trying harder and training better. So, um, if I, Andrew Jones, today wanted to bench press 200 pounds, which I cannot do right now, thank you for not laughing. But I, <laughs> uh, I was ready for it. I was prepared. But you didn't do it. Uh, if I wanted to do that. Would it do me any good to go to the gym, load the 200 pounds on the bar, get underneath it, and try really hard to lift it? What, what would happen? Nothing would happen. Okay? Nothing would happen. Uh, because my muscles, my body is simply not prepared to do the work. I cannot do it. Doesn't matter how hard I try, I cannot yet do it. What should I do? I should train, right? I should start with just the bar, which would be huge for me, you guys. (laughs) Start with a bar. (laughs) This is a place of truth and transparency. You, then you, right, then you would add 10 pounds. Then you add 10 pounds. You add 10 pounds until you reach your goal. You train. Now, we understand this logic with our bodies, but we often fail to apply it to our soul, Right? We, we, we can't try harder on Monday to follow Jesus if we're not training. It doesn't work. And one of the most tried and true ways to train with Jesus in the yoke has been what are called the spiritual disciplines. They are just like physical disciplines. <laughs> Same idea. Practice that Jesus himself did in this life. He did these things, things like prayer, <clears throat> solitude, fasting, study, and so in our guidebook, which I, hopefully everyone's got a copy, a Church for Monday guidebook, um, we, we, we hope you're help, it's helping you to do these things. So make sure you have one. This is how the chapter for this week starts. A disciple who's ready for Monday puts on the yoke, pursuing intimacy with God through spiritual discipline. We know that embracing our unique Monday mission is difficult. So how do we prepare? Dallas Willard, who's a Christian author and philosopher, argues that to perform appropriately in those moments, when we're on the spot, we must be preparing while we are off the spot. Preparation comes through regular engagement with the spiritual disciplines. So maybe you're here and you're wondering, how am I going to handle that hard conversation I know I need to have at work or at home with my friend or my roommate? Or or how am I going to address the the added stress in my life due to a, a big life change, or the difficult decision I know is coming? We train for that moment. We don't just try hard to be patient when someone's yelling at us. We train for it so that we're prepared on the spot. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about a couple of disciplines here. And let me just say this caveat up front. Sometimes as a pastor, um, when I say things like, hey, you should really read your Bible and pray more, right, I get the sense that many of us are like, yeah, but what really should I do? Right? It's like when you go to the doctor and your cholesterol's high and the doctor says you need what you need to watch as you eat and exercise and it's like okay, but I don't want to do that. So what's the pill or what's the surgery or the right just fi- just how do I just get fixed? Right? We 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 know these are things we should do, but well, but it takes work. And you guys, this is a process. So the first time, you know, it, the first time you ate a kale salad instead of a cheeseburger, you probably didn't love it. It took time for you to appreciate that and to feel the effects in your life, to feel your body becoming healthier. Or that first time you got on the treadmill, it wasn't fun. But over time, you see the effects on your life. Uh, the spiritual disciplines may be the same for you. <clears throat> I want to highlight just two of these as next steps. Uh, you can read more about them in your, in your book, and there are more than just these two, but I want hi- to end very practically, Okay. So first, first discipline I want us to focus on is to bring back the discipline of Sabbath rest. A day off. A true day off. No emails, no homework, no sports activities. Rest. Now that might mean planning and working a little extra hard on the other six days to make that possible. And everything in our culture is going to tell you that this is crazy, by the way, in the Israelite culture that, that in, into which God gave the, the gift of Sabbath, it was a countercultural idea then too. People thought you're crazy to take a day off. What if you run out of food? Right? It was, it was, it was an, a true act of faith. Our, our culture similarly, our workplaces will tell us this is crazy. Your boss might tell you this is crazy. Your peers, your neighbors, your sports leagues, yourself. Right? That voice you hear when you're trying to rest. But there's a reason that this discipline, the discipline of a day off of work, to reflect and meditate and delight in God and the gifts He's given you, there's a reason this has been a hallmark of God's people throughout history. This discipline, because it shows us, it reminds us, and shows a watching world that our identity and our security and our productivity and our value does not come from our activity or our franticness, or our busyness, or our workaholism. It comes from being in a a relationship of intimacy with the creator God of the universe. That's where those things come from. It comes in ceasing and resting in the grace and love and forgiveness of Jesus and practicing that, working it into your heart one day a week. And listen, if you're here and you're thinking, Andrew, there's no way, you don't know my schedule, you don't know the demands on me, you know, this could be a, a spot where you need to train better. Maybe a day is too much right now. You need to take half a day. But let me just tell you, if, if you aren't willing to make changes to incorporate rest into your life, I don't know how to help you. Right? You're the person who goes to the doctor with a bad heart and says, and, and says well, I don't want to exercise and I'm not going to eat right. But what else can I do to be healthy? And the doctor's going to go, nothing. This is part of our design to Rest. It's it's, it's something God has given us. It's a gift. So try it. One day a week for one month and see what God does. I, I think it will become a day of delight for you. It will be something you look forward to. And your Monday will be better because of it. More focused, more attentive to God, more rested. Okay, that's one. Second, start and end your day with prayer. Start and end your day with prayer. So tomorrow when you wake up, take five minutes before you do anything else, take five minutes and pray. If you don't know what to pray, we actually have a little guide for every day in, that, in your workbook. If that doesn't do it for you, pray at Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, pray the Lord's prayer. And when you go to bed, put your phone away. And take five minutes, thank God for how he worked in your day, and ask him to help you the next day. And then go to sleep, knowing that that he's still God. And over time, I think if we do that, if we begin and end our day with prayer, we will find ourselves praying more throughout the day. We'll be more attentive to his voice throughout the day, where he's working throughout our day, and we'll be able to rest in his presence even better wherever we go, even if it's at work, even if it's at school. So guys, for the same month, let's begin and end our days with prayer. Let's train ourselves to be more aware of God's presence in our lives. And listen, listen, last thing, Uh, we don't do these disciplines. Hear me say this. These these things I'm talking about, prayer, study, Sabbath, we don't do these things because it saves us. They, They don't. We don't do these things because somehow we earn God's love by being good at these disciplines. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for your sin and mine, that and that alone, has made us beloved sons and daughters of God. That's it. We rest in his finished work on the cross. But this radically changes Jesus' yoke. Here's what I mean. Jesus, as far as I know, is the only one who offers you a yoke like this and doesn't say, go do, and then you can have rest. Right? The, the yoke of human expectation says, go prove something. Go prove you're valuable to me, and then come back, and I'll give you rest. And the yoke of human striving, right, or ceaseless striving says, go accomplish something. Go do something. Then come back, and I'll give you rest. Jesus does not say, go do. He says, come and rest. I will teach you what it means to really be you Which means, you guys, that things like Sabbath and prayer and reflection and solitude, these are not Jesus' expectations of us. They are His gift to us, to teach us what it means to be human again. So ask yourself, will you take up His yoke instead of all the other options we've named and learn from Him what it means to be you and what it means to rest? His yoke is our rest. Let's enter it today. Let's pray to him now. Father, you know we live in a restless world. And now more than ever, it is so easy to avoid rest. And yet as your people, we know we are, to, we are, we are called to enter and model the incredible rest you've built into the, the design of the universe itself from the very beginning. God, in your Son, make us a people of rest. May we learn from Him what it means to be a new creation and to show a watching world, here's what rest truly looks like in the yoke of Jesus. We pray this in His name. Amen.